Good morning, everybody. The reading is from Psalm 91, verses 9 to 16. The Lord is your protection. You have made God most high your place of safety. Nothing bad will happen to you. No disaster will come to your home. He has put his angels in charge of you to watch over you wherever you go. They will catch you in their hands so that you will not hit your foot on a rock. You will walk on lions and cobras. You will step on strong lions and snakes. The Lord says, whoever loves me, I will save. I will protect those who know me. They will call to me and I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. I will give them a long and full life and they will see how I can save. <coughs> My darling. Um, our second reading um, is from John chapter 8. Um, uh, uh, John chapter 8, starting at verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we will be set free? Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I've seen the father uh, uh, seen in the father's presence. And you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Tim's about to come and uh, uh, speak to us. So let me just pray for him uh, before uh, uh, before he comes and speaks. Look, everybody, thank you for Tim. Thank you for um, uh, his ministry. Thank you for the way that we've all uh, learned, uh, learned so much of you and grown in our relationship with you uh, through his time with us um, and just through his, his ministry in, in our lives. So we just pray that you would take hold of um, the things that he uh, that he he uh, has this morning, uh, and that you would uh, you would speak clearly. That we'd uh, hear your voice amidst Tim's words. Thank you, Lord God. Amen. Tim. Amen. Well, uh, thank you, Paul, and uh, thank you again for, for for welcoming me back to Alton. Um, just to a quick plug, actually, I, I do recommend having a look at that video, the Agape video. I went to that supporters evening and it was, I found it inspiring. In fact, I was praying the following morning um, for, for better opportunities, more opportunities to share my faith, having spent the evening with the Agape people the night before. Particularly impressive was uh, John Velicott talking about the digital resources for evangelism that he's working on. Anyway, the following morning, I was praying for more opportunities to share my faith. And I, I went to work, which means I went downstairs and turned the computer on 
And uh, at the Baptist Union, every now and again, we uh, have phone calls come in and messages are left about random things such as, is it safe to use a lead lined baptism pool and things like that? Well, I, I pass that one on to Ali as the water engineer. But there was one that day where someone had left a message saying, I'd like to uh, convert to Christianity. Please tell me how I do that. Uh, this message got farmed out to me. So I thought, well, here we go. Here's an answer to my prayer. So with some trepidation, not knowing what I was going to uh, find, I, I rang up this guy. He turned out to be a completely genuine inquirer, recently retired, lots of time on his hands to ponder life. And um, he uh, had had a look around on the internet and decided that the Baptists were about the best of the bunch. So he just rung us up. So that was great. So I was able to tell him how to become a Christian and uh, I was able to answer some other questions and, and point him towards his local Baptist church. He gave me the permission to share his details with them. So there you go. Uh, be inspired by the Agape video, pray and then see what happens. So today, uh, I gather you're looking at the, at the promises of Jesus, a number of different promises. Today's is, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. So says Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 36, free indeed. Do you know, I, I think today we've got a slightly curious relationship with freedom. Um, I've collected throughout my life various... Um, let's call them trophies of freedom, uh, things that I've collected quite accidentally. I, I didn't think of them as trophies of freedom when I got them, but they kind of are. They all look a bit boring, I'm afraid. Um, so some obvious examples uh, might be, first of all, um, my, my driving license. Um, so obviously this gives me freedom to go wherever I want in my car, but more than that, a, a driving license has become these days almost a sort of unofficial uh, identity card. Uh, if you are ever asked if you've got any ID, whether you want to open a bank account or pick up a parcel or work with children and get a DBS check or whatever, you reach for your driving license. So it's a gateway to all sorts of benefits. It's a trophy of freedom. Likewise, uh, my passport. Uh, do you remember these old pink passports, which gave you the freedom to go wherever you wanted in Europe back in the good old days. Well, let's move on. Uh, or um, how about, um, let's have a look, or oh, this one here. This is, um, this is one of my O-level certificates that marks a stage on the journey of my education, an education which has given me freedom to follow my calling, earn a salary, buy a house and all sorts of other things. Or here's another obvious one, my bank card. The freedom to walk into any shop, pick up whatever I want, well, as long as it's under 45 pounds or whatever it is, wave my card at a machine and walk away with the item. Extraordinary freedom. And lastly, for a moment, and perhaps most obviously for, for many of us, the mobile phone. Not only giving me freedom to connect with friends across the world, but also to post my opinions for the whole world to read. Yeah. I ever wish to. These are the trophies of freedom acquired through our lives, perhaps without us realizing their power. But today we live in interesting times, times when we are having to rethink our relationship with all sorts of people and principles. We're rethinking our working patterns, rethinking the value of jobs done by those we now call key workers. We're rethinking our health, our social space, our connection with nature, but we're also rethinking our relationship with freedom. 
In fact, we might observe that, that freedoms we have long cherished are now questioned or even feared. So for example, you know, freedom of speech and expression seems to have met its match in fake news. And now we are wondering whether we should curb the freedom of social media, the freedom, freedom of movement, the ability to go where you want. Well, that is now bringing to our shores more who are fleeing poverty and persecution than many in our nation believe we can accommodate. Or the freedom simply to meet with whomever we want right now and hug them and play sport with them and go to the cinema with them and worship together with them. That freedom is in conflict with our desire for personal health and safety. And then, of course, there's the, the freedom to be yourself and to determine your own identity without discrimination with regard to your colour, ethnicity, gender, sexual preference or whatever other characteristic. We realise sometimes that our freedom only comes when others give up some of their privilege and entitlement. If the Son sets you free, Jesus said, in John 8, verse 36, you will be free indeed. And I wonder, what do you think Jesus' words here say about what we might call the Western world's wobble over freedom? It's quite possible that, that most of us, um, with all our trophies of freedom, most of us are in fact pretty much as free as we wish to be with the exception of a little social distancing and mask wearing right now. And when Jesus, in our passage, when he told his listeners who, who were all Jews um, that they needed to be set free, they said, uh, no, we don't. We've never been enslaved by anyone. And we might well share their reaction. I mean, after all, we're British, aren't we? In just 45 years time, if we carry on as we are, it will have been one whole millennium since Britain was last successfully invaded. 1066 was the last time we were occupied by a foreign power. And 1000 years of freedom is pretty impressive by any standards. So, you know, we think we don't need freedom. We are free. We're British, we're self-assured, we're independent, we're sovereign, free to determine our own course. What's more, you and I are Baptists. And Baptists claim that no one, neither monarch, nor bishop, nor magistrate, has any ultimate authority over us. We're free to determine for ourselves the mind of Christ, as a Baptist saying goes. But if you scratch the surface of our freedom, it turns out to be actually quite a thin veneer. And not just because social change is happening right now, it's because for many people, the absence of freedom is rather more pressing. If you just take a cross-section of people you know, or even just a cross-section of Alton Baptist Church, what do you find? Well, of course, we find that we're not all British for a start, and we find church members who long for political freedom in their home country, and that's why they're here. Do they feel free? We find church members whose recent ancestors were actually enslaved and often at the hands of the British, even if they are now British themselves, do they share that sense of 1000 years of freedom? We find church members who because of their color alone 
face belittlement and denigration in everyday situations. Something we've become much more aware of in this last year since the murder of George Floyd. Are they free? And if we keep looking, we may find church members who suffer the captivity of chronic pain or domestic abuse or repeated episodes of mental ill health, you know, circumstances which really curtail freedom. So surely then, when you hear Jesus's promise that if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed, doesn't it cause at least a bit of longing within you for change, for lived tangible freedom in the here and now, if not for yourselves, then for others? You know, if you feel free, and praise God if you do, it doesn't take much effort to imagine how others do not. And I would want to declare these words over all of you, that if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. So when we hear those words, let's not say, ha, I'm already free. Let us instead say, Lord, tell us more about this freedom. Help us to grasp its depth. So uh, let's take a closer look. The bulk of John chapter eight. The bulk of John chapter eight describes an exchange between Jesus and a crowd of people, a crowd of people that included some Jewish teachers of the law. And it's a fairly feisty exchange. If you look at the end of it, at the last verse in the chapter, you'll see that the people Jesus was talking to eventually tried to kill him. And in fact, through the chapter, the mood of Jesus's listeners swings about. Uh, the dialogue starts with challenge. In verse 13, the Pharisees say, well, why should we believe in you uh, when you have no witnesses to back up your claim to be the light of the world? The dialogue then moves to bewilderment. In verse 22, the people are saying, well, what does Jesus mean when he says he's going to go away to a place they cannot follow? Then the dialogue moves on to tentative acceptance. In verse 30, it says that even as Jesus spoke, many put their faith in him. But then in verse 31, their dialogue swings back towards hostility and it only gets worse from there. And it doesn't take long for the people, verse 48, to resort to racist stereotypes and insults. They say, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and demon possessed? So we go from challenge through bewilderment to tentative acceptance, then back to hostility and finally to hatred. And what causes that swing back to negativity? is Jesus's assertion that the people were not free. In verse 31, Jesus says to them, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And this statement really riles the people who are listening. And John refers throughout to Jesus's listeners as Jews, which is kind of obvious. Of course they were Jews, Jesus himself was a Jew, he lived among Jews. But the point is that back then, maybe like those of us who are British today, they prided themselves on their freedom. And they say three things to Jesus. They say, you know, first of all, we're descendants of Abraham. Uh, second, we've never been the slaves of anyone. And third, how then can you say we should be set free? And Jesus agrees with them on point one. I know you're Abraham's descendants, he says. He politely glosses over point two, because the Israelites had, of course, been slaves 
first in Egypt, then in captivity in Babylon. And by the way, even as this conversation is going on, they're living under an occupying Roman army. And Jesus disagrees entirely with point three. The Jews said, we don't need to be set free. And Jesus says, oh, yes, you do. They need to be set free, not because they are Jews. Ethnicity has nothing to do with it. They need to be set free from the slavery that is part of the human condition. They need to be set free from what is common to us all. They need to be set free from sin. Everyone who sins, says Jesus, is a slave to sin. Well, that's kind of all of us then, isn't it? But I do think we need to have a bigger picture of what sin might be. Uh, we tend to get a little stuck in imagining sin to be very specific personal moral failures. Um, you know, we lost our temper with the kids last Wednesday. Uh, we told a lie to our parents a couple of days ago. Uh, we let down our friend uh, on the weekend just gone. You know, that's how we define sin. And, and of course, sin includes those things. But, but Jesus is talking here about something much bigger, about sin that enslaves us, that, that defines the boundaries of our lives, that, that keeps us crushed under its weight, that denies us our freedom. This is the human condition. This is sin that cannot be escaped. Whether it is a sin of consciously giving into some temptation, or whether it's a sin we don't even notice, such as how we contribute to the poverty of those who make our chip clothes, or how we accelerate the destruction of habitat far away because of the energy we use, or there is a sin of others committed against us that enslaves us. We are disadvantaged because of other people's attitudes or because of their neglect or insult or abuse. This is the environment of sin that in its totality enslaves. And this is what Jesus offers us freedom from. And then if we just go back to verse 32, we start to see how Jesus does this work of liberation. He says there, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And, and this bit is really important. You see, just as sin is much bigger than, you know, whatever, eating too many chocolates or something. So freedom is so much bigger than just being good and keeping a few rules. When Jesus says, hold to my teaching, I don't think he means, well, make sure you pray every day and take a cold shower if you need to and, you know, be nice to the kids. I think instead he's inviting us into a whole new way of being, a different way of life. It's not about just keeping laws. It's about discipleship. It's about following. It's about walking with and staying close to Jesus. To hold to his teaching is to follow him. And if you follow him, he says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And if we then ask, well, what is the truth? We know the answer according to John's gospel itself that says in verse uh, six of chapter 14, I am, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. So it is in him, in knowing him, in closeness to him, in receiving from him, in him is truth and therefore freedom. And he uses this lovely illustration in verse 35 and 36. He talks of a slave owned by a family, but who has no rights within that family. 
And that slave might have good days or bad days, but even on their best days, they are not actually free. But Jesus says, if the son sets you free, well, who's going to challenge that? If the owner sets you free, then you're good to go. So here we are, enslaved by sin, owned, in fact, by the devil. <laughs> and if you think that's harsh language, that's the language Jesus uses a few verses later on. And along comes Jesus, who on the cross pays the necessary purchase price to redeem us. And once he's brought us into his household, he gives us the run of the house. He sets us free. Uh, he frees us to participate in the all surrounding life and love of God. So can you see how in this one verse, how big a concept is being communicated? It's not just that we're set free from our unique set of individual weaknesses, it's that we are set free from the world of sin, from the power of sin. And there's more. I said a minute ago that when the Jews said they had never been slaves of anyone, they were ignoring their foundational story the story of the Exodus, how centuries before they were slaves in Egypt, but God had, had set them free, led them into the desert, revealed himself to them in the law, made a covenant with them, and eventually delivered them safely to the promised land. And that process of the Exodus brought into being the Israelite people. It made them a nation, the people of God. So can you see the parallel? Isn't what God did for the Israelites in the Exodus what Jesus did for us? He rescued us from our slavery. He revealed God to us through himself. He made a covenant with us, which we remember in the bread and the wine. And he leads us into the promised land of an eternity with him that starts now. And through that process, he makes us the family of God. So do you see that, that Jesus came not only to free us as individuals, but as a people? He constitutes us as a new people of God, a community of freedom with a common story of being set free and a common commitment to exhibit that freedom. George Beasley Murray, a biblical scholar, said that what Jesus proclaims is the emancipation of a new people of God drawn from all nations of the earth. You know, not limited to one group, drawn from all nations of the earth a freed people of God. So we are offered individual freedom from the power of sin in our lives and a community in which together we live out and exhibit that freedom. So here is my uh, last trophy of freedom I'm going to show you today. Uh, it's a Bible, though that's not really the point of this. It's actually what's written in the Bible. Uh, it says here, you probably can't see that, uh, but it says here in top right, in my, my, my mother's handwriting, it just says, Tim Ferguson, May the 16th, 1987, and there's a Bible verse written there. And this is the Bible that my mother gave to me on the day I was baptised 34 years ago. It denotes the date when I marked my entrance into the freedom that Jesus gives. And that freedom is individual and it is corporate. It's individual because this freedom is part of my deepest identity. I have an inner freedom that comes from knowing Jesus that nothing can touch. It cannot be stolen from me. It is a defining aspect of my being. And as for me, so for you, whatever comes, you are loved. 
Whatever comes, you are forgiven. Whatever comes, you are welcomed. Whatever comes, you are embraced. And in the midst of depression or stress or loneliness or grief or failure or loss or hurt or betrayal or disappointment or anything else, the person who is set free in Christ has a refuge. Now, it does not mean that these enemies to our well-being are not still present because we continue to live in this broken world. But at a level fundamental to who we are, we each have the security of being members of Jesus's household, able to participate in the eternal and unshakable life of God, who is so much greater than any other. We have been rescued. It's like, um, it's like the wildebeest chased by the lion, but that makes it back into the herd. It's like being fined a hundred pounds when your bank account contains a million. It's like approaching A-levels, but with an unconditional university offer in hand. It's like running from the school bullies and through your front door and into the arms of your mother and father. You know, it's that being welcomed into a, a, a scenario, a scene that is so much bigger than anything else that opposes us. The truth that sets us free is that we are not who a sinful world says we are or tries to make us. We are who God says we are. So just take a deep breath in for a moment and just breathe in that acceptance and breathe out and breathe in again slowly and deeply and out and know God's freedom. So the freedom is individual and finally the freedom is corporate because of this, because of church, because you are part of a new community of freedom and that community is expressed locally for you in the form of Alton Baptist Church. And you have a role to, uh, to make this freedom a reality. So the racism, for example, that is prevalent outside OBC should not exist within OBC. The judgment of people that's based on status or race or looks or education that is prevalent outside OBC should not find expression within OBC. And likewise, the loneliness or the distrust, uh, likewise, the fear, the destitution, the disadvantage. So to the bullying, the manipulation, the violence, the gossip, the dishonesty, the list goes on. These things that entrap people should be absent from those communities that we are part of, the community of Christ expressed through the local church. And that freedom doesn't happen automatically. It happens when we intentionally address attitudes that constrain others and they get set free. It happens when we earnestly and faithfully pray for those we know who are trapped by circumstances and miracles occur. It happens when we campaign for change and when we challenge bad practice. You know, we say, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. What a gift. What a gift of freedom we each have individually. And what a gift we collectively have of a community in which we may practice that freedom. If the sun sets you free, 
you will be free indeed. Not free eventually, not free a little bit, not free in theory, but free indeed. May God help us to grasp the depth of that promise that we might ourselves become trophies of freedom. Let's, uh, let's pray. Let me just read again the words of that psalm Leslie read to us earlier. The Lord is your protection. You have made God most high your place of safety. Nothing bad will happen to you. No disaster will come to your home. He has put his angels in charge of you to watch over you wherever you go. They will catch you in their hands so that you will not hit your foot on a rock. You will walk on lions and cobras. You will step on strong lions and snakes. The Lord says, whoever loves me, I will save. I will protect those who know me. They will call to me and I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honour them. I will give them a long, full life and they will see how I can save. And Lord God, in that, that prophetic vision of that psalm, the, uh, the fullness of your freedom is described the fullness of your protection, your refuge. And, and Lord God, today I want to just cut to the chase and pray for anyone listening to this message who does not feel free. Without listing again the reasons why that might be, we just know that we do live in this broken world. And Jesus, I want to declare your freedom over this church, over these people, over these children of yours, that they might know an inner freedom that cannot be shaken by any outward circumstance or inward thought, but also that they would know tangible freedom in the here and now and a change in their circumstance or a change in mindset so that whatever entraps them would be gone in Jesus's name. Holy Spirit, just work among us and liberate the enslaved. And I want to pray for Alton Baptist Church as, as a church community, that they would practice and exhibit that freedom. Lord, may this church, may these people always be a, a life-giving, joyous place to belong to in every one of their meetings and every encounter between individuals among them May they be an expression of your freedom. You have constituted us as a free people. Help us to live that reality for you. Holy Spirit, come and minister to us and inspire us to acknowledge and understand and grasp and to live the people you've made us to be, to receive and use the gift you have given. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.